Hello and welcome to Sporting Directors Corner here on Get Football Plus, where we aim to look at football in the context of Sporting Directors, delve that little bit deeper into this multifaceted role and its impact within football across the globe. My name is Shailash, I'm the CEO at Get Football Group and I'll be your host today. And as always, I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host David. David, how are you today? I'm well, Shailash, how are you? I'm doing well, I'm doing good. Uh, coming into August now, so transfer window is probably going to heat up or I guess blow up one of the two so we'll see what we'll see what happens um but David today what we wanted to talk about is balancing development and recruitment um you know and and how a sporting director I guess navigates those two areas within football and within their organization but at at a very like 30,000 foot view what what do you mean by balancing development and recruitment? Yes, it's obviously a club and context dependent um, perspective. Uh, however, it always starts from the same point. What is the project? What is your club's identity? And what is the timeline? Are we trying to become, uh, let's say, Champions League uh, uh, winners by 2024? Or are we just trying to stave off relegation until we get a new sponsor starting in 2025, right? Those are two vastly different conversations. Um, what you see generally in the top five leagues for the, let's call it the upper mid-table clubs in all those leagues, is what, what you generally see is clubs that try to do, they try to balance development and recruitment, but what really happens more so than a balancing is just a preponderance of opportunities. Right. So if you can get if you can get a talent that happens to be pretty good at a position and you're not, say, Manchester City or Real Madrid or Barcelona, Chelsea, Arsenal, um, Liverpool, um, and you're beneath, you're beneath, say, uh, you know, uh, Juventus, AC Milan, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, you try your you, you try your best to get the best value. But then that's not really a project, right? That's more so um, maintenance, which has its own challenges, of course. So when I think of balancing recruitment and development, I think of, um, I'm thinking of too big of words this Friday morning, but I, I, I think of pro, prolificity, prolificity. So what are you doing in spades well? Uh, some clubs don't do anything other than sell players well, you know, for the most part. I mean, obviously they stay in the top, top, top flight, but they're not really vying for Europe. But there's a handful of clubs that tend to do both every single year. And that to me is, is maybe balance is the best word, but they blend recruitment and development well. And they have the infrastructure in place to, to take on, um, losses as far as selling their top players but then also to be developing their replacements in-house immediately so in a really really simplistic view adding balancing adding development and recruitment say equals 100 and right now i'm 20 percent development and 80 percent recruitment because that's where certain pieces in my club or organization or personnel fit is that how it is that how you see some sporting directors work yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, the percentage that 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 uh, you know, let's call it that pie of a hundred is interesting, 
because even if even if I were to give you a number, there's factors that the outside world. So when I say outside world, I mean everybody outside of first team manager, sporting director, ownership slash board will never know or won't know in time. And if that makes sense, um, what I generally see, and this is a sliding scale, what I generally see is that um, most most sporting directors focus. They focus on recruitment, right? Because that's that's sexier. Um, that that is more. Um, there's more of a perceived acumen for that. I mean, for goodness sakes, we have football manager, right? You know, like like you know, there's more. There's more of a uh, uh, a weight on being able to find and replace talent, right? That that's that's what it is, and I don't think that's good or it's bad. You know, I think that's neutral. Yet, um, and I trying to think of a, a better analogy or alliteration but what i keep seeing and i see it more now honestly because of because of the the world cup last window and quite frankly the um the uh the, the saudi backed clubs with that amount of, of of money in the market in general you have two buckets two types of directors that i'm seeing there is um, <clears throat> I call them builders and burners. I haven't found a better way of, I haven't found a better title for the burners. Um, the, the builders are, they're very, usually they're very clear. They, they have expectations and timelines that they give to their project. So whether it's having a certain amount of academy players in the first team, or um, even as you know straightforward as, hey, we want to make sure that we are, um, uh, in the Europa Conference League by 2025, they 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 have a and uh, how do I say this? They, they, there's more of a reverse engineered uh, communication of the destination. Okay, uh, good examples of this are, I mean, quite honestly, uh, any Scandinavian club for the most part. So you look at say uh, Bodo Glimt or Lillestrøm. Um, if you go to say uh, Belgium uh, with Dimitri Decombe in uh, KRC Gang, there, there's clubs that have a history of saying, you know what, this is our project, this is our window, um, and these are our parameters. Burners are cool. <laughs> they they find a way to get talents. They might be even world class at getting talent. Um, but when I say burn, I mean that they consume a lot of capital. They're very, uh, let's call it, uh, I want to say fatalistic, but they, they, there's not really much of a, a long term to their uh, plan. Uh, they they want to get talent in place with a manager, with a manager who knows how to get um, talent to perform. And they have immediate goals that season, maybe at most the following season. And that's it. Um, you, you know, honestly, you tend to see this a lot at, for Premier League clubs, PSG. Um, I'll stop there for the sake of uh, those who might be guilty. But, uh, yeah, you, you, you essentially see a, a very, very um, orchestrated but short term view of placing talent in a squad for a defined short to midterm at best goal 
again, not one is not necessarily better than the other. I'll be honest. I am more of a builder. I prefer to build, but you don't always get that opportunity, right? And if you're a sporting director and you you get a you you get a role in a in a bigger club, a more visible club, you probably don't have the time to build. So perfect example is that is a club we mentioned in the past, like Schalke. I don't think you have seven years to build something, five years, maybe even three seasons. I don't think you have three seasons to build something. You need to get results alongside with development. And that is uh, that is is harder than it sounds. I think, um, I mean, can you can you be both? I mean, in business terms, right? I think when I th- when I think about it, you know, you generally burn burning something takes a lot less time than building something, as you just mentioned, right? And if you're say for example, we're going to buy a business, you're hoping it's going to accelerate you in some form, right? As opposed to decelerate you. So I think is that what I think football clubs are trying to do when they spend a bunch of cash early on or try to recruit a player in a specific position to fix a specific problem because they haven't got time to build. But obviously building something is going to be more sustainable in the long term. But as a sporting director, can you be both? It's just the mode that your club is in right now. I mean, any out there that you maybe want to name David, put you on the spot that have done both? So this is where I'm contrarian and I'm not saying that I'm right or wrong. I'm just saying this is my interpretation. of I don't think so. I don't, yeah. I don't think you can at all. Um, it, it looks like some can, um, but you have to have an identity. And I said every week and I, and I, I'll keep saying it every opportunity, there has to be alignment. So one one director who looks like he does it both very, very well, but I don't think he would ever say it unless you pinned him down and you made sure that you paid for the meal. Florian Maurice at uh, at uh, Stade Rennes, Renais, Rennes, however you say it in French, uh, they, they look like they do both, right? They look like it. Uh, every single year, they're selling massive talents on, right? But then every single year, they have the, the Kamavingas of the world coming through, right? The academy. And it looks like he's doing both. He's not, um, you know, in my opinion. What he is doing, and this is where it goes back to the identity of the club, he's developing talent. When you develop talent and you understand value, you get players, you get profiles before other clubs who usually have bigger pockets than you, have a bigger budget than you sense that talent is worth paying that amount of money for. So yes, for every uh, Ismail Asar, you know, you have a, you know, a Leslie Ugochuku or, or, or what have you, right? And it, it looks amazing. You know, you sell Kamavinga uh, to Real Madrid and oh my goodness, they have a, such a sterling academy. These things are, these things are all true. But I would push back and be contrary and say he's not doing both. He's improving the emphasis of the project is to develop talent. It's not necessarily about, um, you know, being a great recruiter or, you know, being solely focused on youth development. Right. Um, One of the things that I I think I keep saying every single week now, and and I'm only just realizing that uh, realizing this, it, it does come back to money. It does. I mean, we all want to talk about the romanticism of, of, you know, attacking football and, you know, what have you. Guess what? You can't play attacking football in Europa League unless you, oh, yeah, qualify for the Europa League. You, you have to have a manager who can get the, the, the talent and the production, the performance from those players. 
You have to have the infrastructure, the player care protocols, so that these players that you recruit, that these players that you develop, feel comfortable in your club so that they can perform. These are things that are not free, okay? I, I mean, they're, they're not, um, you, you can't just go to, uh, in, the, in the States, we call it a supermarket. You know, you can't just go to a supermarket or, or Amazon and, and order it and have it drop shit to the club. And then somebody, you know, the player opens it and he's taken care of. No, these are relational things that take time, they take effort, and it takes work. That is easy to minimize when you see the dollar signs or the euro signs of Erling Holland or William Saliba or um, Declan Rice or Bukayo Saka's uh, extension. When we see those numbers, we, we our minds are not conditioned to think of anything other than like, oh, wow, that player is valued highly. Well, guess what? That that valuation, uh, whether it's wages or a transfer fee, is a direct reflection. Uh, I don't know if you can put a, a, a value on it, but there's a direct reflection of the processes that that club and previous clubs had in place to to refine that talent. So you can do both. But I don't think you are both, right? Like those. I mean, I hate to be semantic about it, but you can do both, but you you can't be both. You you either need to focus on developing talent, or you need to focus on winning and and getting the the let's call it a, a winning caliber profile into the club. Um, you get lucky, but when's the last time that Ren truly uh, truly fought? for uh, a league a league on championship i don't know i i see lille there i see marseille um you know obviously some club in Paris. no i'm kidding uh, you know but like psg like you you see that all the time but when's the last time you really saw ren up there i don't know and that's the point they don't they don't necessarily have to be they need to be sustainable and their project especially since florian maurice has been there as, I don't know if it's gone to another level. Uh, I wouldn't say that without you know researching it more. But it seems it seems like he hasn't missed right. Like and that to me is usually an indicator that it's not about the director as much as it's about the identity of the club. There's alignment there. Yes, he has skills. Yes, you know he's he's taking players. Um, young West African players from Scandinavia, from Belgium, from wherever, you know, from, from West Africa, and they're, they're performing. But at the same time, he has the infrastructure and the systems in place in Ren to make it work. It, it actually, I mean, Ren looks a, a really, really interesting club, actually, in Liga. I mean, they look like they've, they're going, the well, they have going, well, been going through a build process right now, right? You know, with the players that they're developing and balancing that with recruitment. I mean, they're not afraid to, I guess, in quotes, burn some cash. I mean, they have spent some money this summer, but on young French talent, right? So they obviously have a a, a modus operandi, which seems to be working. And I think they're ready to maybe explode, I think, in Liga in terms of maybe not, I mean, PSG is just a different, different ball game, but in terms of pushing up, and being something sustainable, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how they they you know proceed going forward. Just bringing it back into, I guess, looking at another club, David, and another one, Arsenal, right? That they 
you put out some things on their academy director, Per Matasaka, their alignment within the club seems to have taken on a really, really nice shape um, after maybe a couple of iterations since Arsene Wenger um, left. Balancing development and recruitment at a club like Arsenal, how does that differ to, I guess, a club like Rennes? Yeah, it's a great question, right? Because on the surface, I don't, there's not much big picture wise that is different, you know? I mean, yeah, we're trying to win on every, you know, every competition we play in, right? But that's where I think that, um, and I'm, I'm pausing because I know here, here comes the stick, right? <laughs> here comes the stick. Let's do, but, it. let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. So, um, the, so the main difference between levels, uh, is that because of what is at stake and the, the, the money at play, you need more competent minds at the decision-making table, right? So at Ren, Florian Maurice and his recruiting setup can do the, do, they, they can do it. They can do it well, right? But let's be honest, maybe Europa League group stages, you know, uh, cup and don't screw up league on. I'm being overly harsh and overly simplistic, right? That that's that is a different conversation than Arsenal, Premier League, Champions League. Let's just say FA Cup, Carabao Cup. You're 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 fighting high level competitions against other well uh, capitalized clubs in let's just say safely four arenas of combat. You need more minds there, right? So one trend that we've seen over the past, I'm going to say, year or so, is that uh, the bigger clubs, hello, Todd Bowley, Chelsea, um, they will get four or five recruitment technical, I'm going to call it mines. Um, here in the States, especially in baseball, they call it uh, title inflation. You, you essentially have three or four assistant sporting directors or however you want to call them, technical director, director, director of football, president, however you want to title it. You have four or five of those, three or four of those in-house and you give them different um, emphases, say first team recruitment or youth development or uh, loan management slash path. Again, uh, titles are club dependent. The, the, I want to say this in, in, a, in a balanced way. What you see very clearly, very quickly, in my opinion, when I say quickly, I mean within like six to eight weeks, the setups that have fit and alignment, they, they have sustained and um, let's just call it impactful decision-making in their recruitment. Um, not to pit Arsenal versus Chelsea necessarily, but if you measure the recruitment decisions, when I say recruitment decisions, who has been loaned out, who has been extended, who has been um, brought into the club since January 1 of this year for both clubs and what have those players done um, versus how much those players say, I don't want to say cost because that's not fair, but what, what have they done and how are they fi factoring into this upcoming season? When you look at it on the face of those decisions, you see if, if we're, again, just going as high level as I can with, you know, not swinging my, my stick too far. Uh, when you look at what Chelsea has done, they have acquired and accumulated 
massive talents. And they're still doing it, right? Compare that to Arsenal's. Again, uh, I'm, be, uh, I'm being as detached from the actual players and the dollar or you know price amounts as possible. But one is very seemingly very coherent and calculated. And another one is more so gathering as the, the best that they can. Um, again, the, one is not better than the other. But when we talk about the, the balance of this conversation, which is, you know, recruiting and developing talent well, that's why I say it can't it can't really you can't really do both. But then also, above all, what is the identity of the club? What is for the sake of argument? What is Chelsea's identity? You know, what, what is Arsenal's identity? What is Ren's identity? Right. And, and just to throw a, a wrench in, in that thought process, compare those three versus uh, versus, say, um, Luton Town. Right. You, you begin to very clearly see that who you are as a club and your aspiration directly ties into how you spend capital and recruitment um, intellect. It, 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 they, they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. So for me, when I look at um, Edu um, at Arsenal, per, Mar- uh, per Mertesacker, Academy Director at Arsenal, and then first team manager, um, Mikel Arteta. I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, full transparency. I, I mean, I've, I've tweeted a lot, a lot about that setup this past six months or so because it's very, very good. I can't off the top of my head think of one. Of, I mean, Bayern Munich won, um, you know, uh, the league. But there's been a lot of chaos there, right? Been a lot. Um, you, you look at Arsenal and what they've done. Uh, compared to what they've spent versus the other um, the other top clubs in the uh, in the top five leagues, it's impressive. I don't say that as me being a supporter or or me being having any affinity to anything other than just looking at the evidence. Name a club other than Florentino Perez and, and Real Madrid who have re- who have recruited talent in a manner that. Not only has it affected the first team, but it has been in line with their identity. It, I mean, Arsenal were, Arsenal are really quite interesting from that, you know, post Arsene Wenger, where there was one man who was literally doing everything at the club, and then they've had to break apart his role because it really was more than a one man role. Um, and they've gone through a, a few iterations to get to this point, but their setup is really, really quite unique and. I guess there are there is some envy about it for sure because you've got people in roles who are ex players, almost legends at the club. Who you know, so from that side where we've talked about it before about having people who understand the club, what it means, what the shirt means, etc. They've got those people in really really high profile positions in development recruitment within the club as well as playing. The true test, I think, now for Arsenal is. Is can they win? Because at the end of the day, their identity is a club that has to win, right? So, and I think that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But in terms of the foundations that have been laid, it, it feels very, very promising. But then I wanted to just jump on something, and we've talked about floors and ceilings so many times before, right? But the floor at Arsenal has obviously risen, right? So you can't just take a an academy recruit or a young player or a developing player they're not going to be able to jump on that floor anymore because it's so high, right, to get into that team. So 
how, how does a sporting director, how does someone like Edu, how does someone, you know, navigate that to keep Per Mertesacker still doing his role, I guess, as an academy director? And we're just using Arsenal as an example here, but I guess this would happen at any organisation where flaws are being raised. How, how do you still keep that, I guess, achievable for a young talent? That is a great question, and that is the question, right? Um, the the um, the unforgiving truth is that the thousands of kids that roll through any academy, they're not going to play first-team football. They're most likely not going to play first-team football for that club, right? That's that's one of the reasons why I, I've highlighted so much of what Per Murder Soccer has shared, just as far as their, their four principles, or sorry, four pillars and how they uh, – um, approach player development because it's not player development it's it's human development right so this is where going back to your question as far as you saying can you do both um you can and i if i sound like i'm contradicting myself i i I might be but more so it's semantics the words that we use matter when you are in when you are infatuated with developing people and i'll even be more direct when you are infatuated, when you are obsessed, when you as a club or academy director or sporting director are absolutely passionate at developing young men and turning them into boys, and they happen, I'm sorry, turn, developing young men, young boys and turning them into men, what happens is that, I mean, at the end of the funnel, if you will, yes, you might have a Rashford, Marcus Rashford. You might have a Bukayo Saka, right? Every yeah. however many seasons, however many years. But guess what? You have thousands of David Gregory's who might who might be an investment banker, might sell commercial real estate, will most likely be a husband, will most likely be a father. Right. So when you focus more on improving that person and then bringing the player along, you give yourself the opportunity to, hey, I mean, you're going to you're going to hit the you're going to hit the once in a generation guys. Right. I would even say that's not hard to do in a sense, in a sense. It's not hard to do. What you are going to find is that the greats were going to be great no matter what. However, what about the average, quote unquote, Joe? Are you giving that average kid, that average academy product, the same amount of development opportunity and resources compared to your best, your shining gem? Why am I saying all that? I'm saying all that because that's why you you probably should separate the academy director role from the sporting slash technical director. Because the sporting director's job, if you care about the development of your, your players as people, you should be able to see pathways. You should be able to see, hey, we got Gabriel Martinelli and we have Bukayo Saka. Um, this undervalue, uh, you know, this Mr. Undervalue's son, he's probably not going to make it here. However, let's try to see if, if we can loan him out or how, how much further can he go in our system before, uh, you know, say Ben Napper, loans manager, you know, takes over his profile. But then on top of that, your job as a sporting director is to engender results, is to glean where are we deficient as a first team? Because that's what, I mean, you're gonna get judged on wins and losses. You're gonna get judged on uh, how well, how far your your club goes in Europe. 
So you need to have a competent left back. If you don't have one in your system, in your academy setup, in your development uh, pathways, in your pipeline, you have to go out and get one. I mean, you have to find a solution, right? So to me, again, like I said, it's it's really semantics. But when you get, when you look at, um, I use an extreme example because I I think it, it, it helps illustrate it. FC Shakhtar in Ukraine, how many Brazilian players have they uh, launched in the last 20 years? A few, and I'm being sarcastic, a few. Why have they launched them? Because they care. Yes, they care about the on-pitch result. I mean, that, that goes without saying. But they care about the person. So they have Portuguese-speaking people who help make them feel comfortable at the club. They have people in the club who help them learn English. You know, there's there's so many parts to being a um, a competent organization that launches talent. And, and again, if you take even a, 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 a further step back, the number one role for any company, when I say company, I mean a mom and pop restaurant or a plumbing outfit in Manchester or Google or Tesla, your number one deficiency is finding talent, all of them across the board, whatever your product or service is. I'm saying that as a business owner, you always have to be mindful of, okay, I might lose Susan. How am I going to replace her? Right. And at the end of the day, when you're talking about sporting directors, uh, technical directors, and, and by extension, by proxy academy directors, you have to have a runway that allows for you to find solutions. Um, he says it all the time. When I look at my, you know, when I look at what Per Murder Sacker says that everybody likes when I share it, they all love the four pillars. They all love, I mean, they love all that arsenal stuff. I call it uh, harmless propaganda. They love it. Everybody loves it, right? <laughs> we all love it. It's great. And it's Per Murder Sacker, you know, lovely giant, German giant. Yeah, we all love it. The part that nobody talks about that he says every single time he is interviewed, everybody glosses over, but me, of course. You know what he says that that blows my mind that the the builders talk about? This is a 10-year runway. I am talking and trying to develop the under nines. It's a 10-year runway. Who in top flight football is talking about 10-year runways? Nobody. I don't know if that came up on a speaker. Nobody talks about that. You know why? Because it's hard to judge. Seemingly, seemingly, it's hard to judge a 10-year runway. But then I'm contrarian, and to me, I think it's easier to judge over 10 years what's working and what's not. Because you're going to have your Bukaya Sakas, but you're also going to have, like I said, your David Gregory's who are, you know, know, the fleet manager of um, of a utility company, right? Yeah, it's it's not success. Isn't always about raising trophy over trophies over your head at a pitch, you know, at Wembley. That's great. That's definitely part of it. Success in your proof of concept is in having boys go through young players, young young women, young boys go through your academy setup, your youth setup, and them developing as people. You're not going to get every single one right. Or when I say it right, you're not going to get every single one to the first team. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. And on top of that, no matter what the scope or scale of your your setup is, they're not going to play. They're they're, they're not all going to play first team football somewhere else. 
right? I mean, let's not get, you know, too proud about it. You know, just because you went to Arsenal's academy or your Manchester United academy um, or you set up doesn't mean that you're going to play first team football in Scotland. It doesn't mean that, right? It just means that you have had an education, a football education that is elite, super elite. But then how does that factor into performance on the pitch? If your youth setup is aligned correctly with your recruitment setup, your first team setup, the, I mean, I guess it depends on, it depends on generations, right? But your youth setup can fill in holes that can obviously save you money on the open transfer market, but more so allow you to focus on finding solutions holistically together, more so than, than relying heavily on say, um, you know, your, your, uh, your, your first team uh, manager or your academy setup. A quick example, just because I thought of it, FC Northland is only starting, only starting to um, uh, use transfer market money that they've gotten from, I don't know, five, six, seven years of having the, the Simon Adingras, the, um, oh, I forget his name, Suleiman Kamaldana, like, Though that money, they're there's just starting to use that on 26, 27, 28 year old strikers. Why? Because it takes time for that level of. Again, when we see transfer fees, we just see numbers. But if you are accountable for the growth and development of your setup of your of your um, of your players, you have to appreciate the fact that it's not just that one player being quote-unquote worth that much that those monies are earmarked to for certain things whether it's player care uh whether it's nutrition whether it's sleep whether it's you know to get new pitches at the training facility so when we see transfer tags if get nothing else from this conversation when you when we see transfer tags we should not see oh that player that talent that market that position that league that sporting director we should see that is a fraction. That is a fraction of what it takes to develop players at our high level, high caliber talents. No, I agree. It's a, it's a, it's a very, uh, I guess, maybe a fan style thinking like, hold on a minute, we just sold a player for 100 million. So why are we not spending 100 million right, on the next player or, or pool of players? Um, people, I guess this is part of what we're trying to do, right, is is illustrate what it takes to, I guess, run a, a sporting organization or the different areas within it. I mean, we're not football owners as much as we'd like to be. Um, but, you know, again, at the end of the day, it's like a business, right? And, and we do know how businesses operate. But just going back to the Arsenal thing, I think it, what was, they might not be able to get to the first team, but I think one thing Arsenal have notoriously been bad in the past at doing is selling their talent, I guess, for market prices, right? They just have not been good. And I think that will definitely be an indicator of how um, they progress. I mean, I, th I think back to clubs like Liverpool who are able to sell young talent, fresh talent, I guess, for for millions, right? And, you know, kind of, and, and I guess they were basing that off of their success that their first team were having. So like, well, hold on a minute, if these players are that good, that must mean the talent that can't get into that team must be this good as well or a certain level. So can we extract more money from the market for something like that? Does that... Sound fair, David, as an indicator? It, I see what you're trying to make me say, 
Uh, <laughs> David, I, I can't make you say anything. I know that now. <laughs> so. No, no, no. I, I think it's the beginning of the right conversation. Uh, all joking aside, it's the beginning of, of a, of a, I'm going to call it elevated way of thinking about it. Um, there's a concept that, uh, you know, if you have a good lumber mill, you know, wood mill, like you're going to have a lot of sawdust, right? You're going to have a lot of, of seemingly wasted material on the floors of the lumber mill, the sawmill. Um, if you have a high level club, such as Liverpool, Real Madrid, Barcelona, I mean, you can just go down the line, right? The majority, the overwhelming majority, I imagine over 95% of your academy talents are not going to make the first team. So yes, when you do sell them on to other uh, clubs, and whether they play well or not, if you if you get a few million euros, I mean, you're you're it's a sustain a sustainability thing, right? You are paying. Um, how do I say this? You are you are gaining some return on investment, right? I think where you want to be very mindful and you want to be very careful to not see it just solely that way is that a lot of times. A lot of times, especially for the top top of the food chain of football, we we want to judge them on uh, let's call it competitions that they're fighting for, right? And, and and that's that that goes without saying. I mean, Manchester City, uh, I mean, they won the treble. Guess what? Guess what? They're probably not going to do this year. They're probably not going to win the treble. I mean, I'm joking. They might. Who knows? The the fact of the matter is, for a a director, a technical or sporting director. In my opinion, you always, yeah, the, the results are great, but you're always haunted by pathways. How do I keep the pathways clear? Yes, we have Erling Holland on, you know, contracted for the next two or three years. But what if he doesn't want to be here after next season, right? These are conversations, or maybe not necessarily conversations. These are pending realities that you have to have solutions for, even if they may never, you know, um, consummate themselves. So when I think of the academy products, whether it's Liverpool or Arsenal or Manchester United or or whoever, um, yes, those are good things for them to be sold on to the opportunity to, to play, to play. Let's just call it for what it is to play. Um, Yet the, the, the pathway, the, the pathway thought process is it, it's so it, it's so important. I mean, I, I share it at the end of um, when I do a academy director profile on Twitter, but I'll say it again here because I, I think I can do. I have more words to use than what Elon will let me use on Twitter. Um, academy directors, when you have a pathways mindset, you give yourself funnel F U N N E L vision. You can see, wow, I have all these kids coming in from the under nines, the under 12s, what have you. You can see the whole project and you know who's your starting left back in the first team. You can see the funnel. I have, I'm just making up numbers here. I have 19 players in the academy set up who can play left back for Mikel on Boxing Day if we have injuries. Okay, you can see that. But then you also know that that funnel is time and, dare I say, play, um, it's time and, and, and price dependent, right? Depending on uh, that player, 
and that player's family or a representation um, wanting to stay in your setup or move on, you might not have 19 players who can play left back for you on Boxing Day here in a few months, right? Direct sporting directors, technical directors, a lot of times, when uh, earlier in this conversation, I referenced them being burners. They have a tunnel, so T-U-N-N-E-L. They, they, they're more so infatuated. I mean, again, this is not a bad thing necessarily. They're infatuated. Okay, I need a left back. Who has played left back in Europe, in Champions League, Europa League? Who, who is a free, or not free, who is an available left back in the Prem that we can get at value before September 1st? That is tunnel vision. How do I fill this roster spot immediately with as little money going out the door as possible? For the record, it's not tunnel versus funnel. Like one is not better than the other. It's just more so the academy director's job, like per Murder Soccer is saying, it's a 10-year runway. It's a 10-year, you're under nines. How many of them are going to get to uh, Premier League 2, right? It's not, there's an attrition that just comes with time. They might go to another academy. They might not play football when they're 12, right? There's all these things that you can't foresee, but when you're able to see the funnel, when you're able to see these are the players that we're putting into our setup, whether it's first team, you know, reserve, or to potentially be the first team on the match seat, or our under nines, you know, You can see the whole runway, the whole, I'm going to call it global position population at left back. Um, Again, it's it's, it's not just players though, right, David? I mean, these guys are also looking at their own staff, right? Are these the right people to, at this particular point in their players' development or at this particular point in their recruitment strategy, you need your staff. So that was going to be one of the questions like it's not just balancing development and recruitment of players it's also your staff and others within the organization which i think the sporting director will have a jurisdiction on that yeah and this is i mean i've i've been on good behavior i don't know the last time i talked about red bull salzburg but this is why red bull salzburg is all but teflon that it doesn't matter if they lose a manager, doesn't matter if they lose their best striker every single year, every single summer, they lose their best striker. Think about that. Every single summer, every single summer, they lose their top goal scorer. And guess what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because they they have su- uh, succession planning down, and I'm giving them too much credit. It's, it's scientific for them. They are constantly from Red Bull Salzburg, the top in Austria, their top tier team in Austria, to um, FC Liefering, you know, their their Bundes, uh, Zweite Bundesliga team, to their setup throughout the, the grassroots in all of Austria. They are constantly preparing the replacements for everybody. Christoph Freund is going to Bayern Munich, I believe, in September. They were ready. They've been ready. I mean, I'm not saying that like they kicked him out the door. That's not it at all. It's not it at all, right? It's just more so that they had three or four in-house. In, I mean, it's always going to be cheaper for you to replace uh, personnel in-house than out, you know, by having to recruit somebody to come to come in. 
However, if you contrast the two, the two key departures for their uh, setup, their first team setup, Christoph Roin, this uh, September fourth, is going to Bayern Munich. Matthew Yeisel, it, and forgive me, I forget the club he's going to uh, in Saudi Arabia, but he he he's leaving too, or he's sorry, he's leaving. He's left. He left last Friday. When they asked the managing uh, sport director uh, Stefan Reiter the difference between the two, he basically called it for what it is. He said, "Look, um, you know, uh, we're talking about two talented men." Christoph has been getting inc- more and more inquiries going forward, and with Bayern coming calling, and just the, just the uh, again the communication piece, just because of how he communicated with us, the opportunity and his willingness to go, this is the right time, and they're essentially uh, promoting their academy director to his role. Everybody, there's going to be a party. There's going to be a, a month long party, right? For Matthew Eisel. I mean, for what it's worth, when you want to go, you want to go, right? I mean, I, I don't want to sit here and, and, and judge how somebody goes. Yet, they're opening the season. The Austrian Bundesliga started last Friday, uh, Wednesday night or so, seemingly, from what you read in the Austrian papers. The ISO was talking to the clubs in Saudi Arabia about leaving. 48 hours before the season kicks off. Even though it was a little bit more, I don't want to use the word contentious, uh, Stefan Reiter basically said, you know, his mind isn't here, so we released him so that he can go to where he wanted to go. But we still have in-house. I mean, they ended up, uh, you know, uh, bringing uh, Gerhard Struber back into the fold, but they already had in-house replacements that could definitely do trainings indefinitely until they found a replacement. So I take a step back. Um, I have clubs that um, I, lo- I love reading about them. I love watching their press conferences. I, I-, I love how they handle decision-making. Red Bull Salzburg is definitely one of those clubs. Um, one of the more popular clubs seemingly this calendar year has been Brighton to that effect as well. Um, well again, when we, talk, when we talk about competency, when we talk about uh, recruitment versus development, it really boils down to pathways. How do we value pathways? Right. Um, The hot take of the day for me, it would be how do these top clubs, how does Chelsea value pathways compared to Manchester City? How does Real Madrid value pathways compared to Arsenal? Right. When you really match up players that they sign versus players that are actually um, competing for them, you start to see certain truths. When you look at the first team manager and how he communicates the expectation of the squad compared to the owner slash sporting director, what are they saying? You start to see these truths that are self-evident. And at the end of the day, the ones who are the most sustainable, whether they're they're at the top of the food chain or they're in, you know, League One in the UK, in my opinion, they prioritize pathways. They know when Relatively speaking, they know when to let a player or coach uh, or director go on to greener pastures because it's time. So you always, when you appreciate and value pathways, you value succession planning because you know that this this whole setup cannot be dependent on one one lucky year, one lucky bounce. You know, and and, and that's that's what separates the again, the sustainable, the sharp clubs from the 
the well-capitalized clubs or the lucky clubs. Yeah, and it's, it's not just, like you said, right, it's, it's not just the players. It's also the team that manages the team, right, the people behind. Like you said, let's letting your staff go to pastures new because, you know, they've elevated themselves to a certain level. You know, and the examples that you gave with Red Bull Salzburg are, are, are very pertinent. I mean, you see it with Man City as well, and Pep staff seems to be getting poached, or not poached is the wrong word, but they're moving to pastures new, right, to, to go to something else. David, I think that's a really good moment to to wrap it up, I think. And um, it's, it's been a really insightful conversation on balancing development recruitment, not just at a playing level, at a football level, at an organisation level. Um, you know, very, very so many layers to this, um, which we can hopefully cover in, in future episodes. But as always, it's been a really fascinating conversation. Um, we hope you as listeners have enjoyed it and we would really love to hear your feedback um, on what you think of the conversations that we have and any other topics that you think we wanted to cover. Also, David, I'll put your Twitter handle in the show notes. You know, there's so much information that David puts out on in his tweets around sporting directors and various facets of football organisations that are really, really, you know, informative. So I would definitely follow David at his Twitter handle. And as always, please keep a lookout on our Get Football Media outlets where we cover European football and world football with news, videos, opinions from some of the most plugged-in analysts across the football landscape. I'll add a a link in our show notes to all our outlets there. And as always, we just wanted to say, we just hope you have a great day and thanks for listening.